Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 211, and it was recorded a few months ago with Argot Morelius. She's a fascinating woman. She travels all over the world. She is a one of the top food and wine writers, uh, an editor for 12 Forward. She is a contributing editor for numerous food and wine and travel publications. She grew up all over the place and her upbringing, extraordinary. Her parents' story, extraordinary. Her grandparents' story, just blow your hair back. So very excited for you to hear this episode. She references at one point uh, one of her favorite restaurants here in California called Auburn Restaurant. And I went and looked it up this week. And unfortunately, it has closed permanently because of the pandemic. So I wanted to make that correction in case anyone came looking for it. In other news, social media, Hey Human Podcast can be found on Facebook and Instagram. Susan Ruthism for social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me at susanruth.com. You can also sign up for the mailing list there. Uh, heyhumanpodcast.com is where you're going to find the links page and information about every show and every guest. And that links page is curated by me, and I try to put as much pertinent information from these conversations as I can, books and articles and the like, and how to contact the people I talk with. So uh, I'm very proud of that links page, so please check it out. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. But most especially, if you listen to it on iTunes, take a minute and rate and review there because it's super helpful. And I really appreciate it. You can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. I've been getting a lot of really wonderful emails lately. Thank you for that. Um, it's so great to hear from you. And thank you for the recommendations of people to have on the show. I'm really enjoying that and following up on everything and everyone. This past week has been a bit intense. I had a very emotional day a couple days ago. And I just, I don't know, it just hit me hard. And I sat and cried for half an hour and and then pulled myself up and sat myself back down, ate a giant pot of mac and cheese and watched Community on Netflix from the very start and binge watched that until three in the morning. And that show is so funny. I've never, I've seen episode here and there, but I've never watched it in a committed straight line. It's really great. It's super duper funny. The acting is hilarious and the jokes are hilarious and I've really enjoyed it. So if anyone hasn't seen Community yet, I recommend it. At least it fits my sense of humor quite nicely. Okay, um, I guess that's about it. I just started reading a new book, The Selfish Gene, and I'm enjoying that so far. Ooh, I also just finished a book, uh, Freedom from the Known, and it's really good um, for anyone looking for something to read. That one was incredible. All right, let's get into this. Thanks for listening, everybody. Here we go. Argot Meyer, welcome to Hey Human. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I love that you walked here. Yeah. I'm going to move this a little closer. Boop, boop. Okay. I'm still a New Yorker sometimes. I love this neighborhood because yeah. I can walk everywhere. I can go up to the grocery store. I can go to restaurants and bars. 
it's a little more expensive living here because you have such easy access and you don't have the thing where you go, yeah, I don't know, parking and yeah. traffic. Because <laughs> you just walk. It's lovely. How long have you been in L.A.? Three years. From? New York. Oh, I mean, well, okay, you 18, came straight there. All right. 18 years in New York and before that, here and there. All over. I grew up, born in Sweden, grew up in Paris, went back to Sweden, spent three years in New York when my dad worked for the UN, and then I went to boarding school in Sweden, and then I jumped back and forth between Stockholm and Paris. Tell me about uh, your childhood, your upbringing and such. Normal, not normal, <laughs> family history, that kind of thing. Def Who are you? Yeah, definitely not normal. When people ask me where I come from, I say I'm Swedish, but it's a birth defect. Because <laughs> I was born in Sweden by a Swedish father who spent all his life abroad and a mother who, um, who is a British citizen grew up, born and raised in East Africa of Lithuanian parents. So Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and since we moved around so much, I don't know where I come from. I don't know where I am. Do you have a sense of identity? No. Or, oh, not Well, no, I don't, like, I don't, I don't feel that I belong in Sweden, mm -hmm. and I have no, no sense of roots whatsoever. I like France because I spent a lot of time there, and I speak the language fluently, but would I like to live there again? I don't think so. Sure. Am I American? I have, no, I have a green card. That's about it. <laughs> so, and Africa is like, that's off the map. Although I had a really interesting experience when I went to South Africa this past December. I was staying at a farm that was founded in 1744, Kersefontaine. And the eighth generation owner hosted us. We had dinner in a dining room that could seat 20 with only candle lights. And, of course, the black staff and the little bell that he would ring when they would when it was time to clear the table, etc. It was so old school. 6,000 hectares of land to the horizon and back. And that's when I realized, wow, my grandmother. I got in touch with my grandmother who moved from... Lithuania when she was 17 she married her cousin I believe it was the cousin on the other side of the family <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I think so um, and she ended up in East Africa my they had my grandfather had coffee plantations and when the Mau Mau revolts started happening in the 60s when the native people decided they had had enough of colonialism they went pretty apeshit on on people that were the wrong color so grandma and gr my step-grandfather moved down to south africa and so i'm in this in this place from 1760 1744 and start like for the first time in my life got in touch with my grandmother i've never met her i've never known her my mother you know left left kenya and and so it was it was one of those like out of out of body experiences. It was super strange, but did you connect with her? I kind of did. Yeah, it was it was very sad. It was super emotional. She was I think she had a hard life. They uh, they moved to to Germany, East Africa, right before World War II. Got out in the nick of time, mm. and then ended up in in British East Africa, 
around then. And because they were Lithuanians, Lithuania was allied with... Lithuania was Russia, which was, from the beginning of the war, allied with Germany. They were on the wrong side of the fence, basically. So they were set into a POW camp. My mother spent the first seven years of her life in a POW camp without shoes, eating out of tin cans, pointing out a donkey on the other side of the fence saying, poor donkey's fenced in, because she had no idea what the reality really was. Oh, wow. And then Grandpa, her dad, came in one night to the women's camp and with a big machete and try to kill them all because he was done with it. He'd been sitting there going bananas. Wait. In 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 the POW camp. He tried not to kill the, the women, it, tried to kill the... His wife, his wife and the three children. He tried to kill them. Uh-huh. Because why? Because he was he had had enough. He thought that was the end of life. He couldn't sit as a prisoner in this oh, so British camp. Decided to just take everyone out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when the war was over, my grandma says, I can't trust that man any longer. She took her three children and left. Wow. And ended up in a, in a room above a kitchen at some Swiss missionary family that just took them in because... Well, how did they stop the machete attack? What did what happened? I don't know. Oh, quite okay. frankly, there are so wow. many holes in the story. My mm-hmm. mother was sent off to boarding school when she was very, very young, and whenever she tried to find out anything about her family, it was shut down by her mother. What religion? They were Jewish. Okay, but I found that out through Facebook. <laughs> Because grandma, of course, remarries and has another child. So my mother has a half-sister, Gabby, who's 10 years younger. And um, she moved to to South Africa with grandma. And uh, then proceeded to be lesbian, which in apartheid South Africa was... I don't know. Probably. Mm. And taunted my grandmother and was, was just a little complicated, as I understand. And um, and so my mother just canceled her out and never never got in touch with her again because she was so appalled with her uh, behavior towards their mother. And um, I knew, I always knew about this woman, but I always knew that she was gay. And so all of a sudden I get friended by these three girls in Cape Town. I don't know them. I've, n- I've never heard this last name. I don't know who these girls are. Turns out they're my cousins. <laughs> and through them, I find out all sorts of things. Like, um, we're very Jewish. <laughs> wow. Hilarious. How, what does that do to, to you as a... Because your whole life you don't identify as maybe even anything. And then no. suddenly, here's an identity that you could try on. Right. How did that feel? Um... It was very interesting to, right afterwards, end up in Tel Aviv, where people are very nosy and and exuberant, and they want to know everything. Like, what are you wearing? What did you have for breakfast? What are you doing this afternoon? And, oh, by the way, are you Jewish? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. There was a sense of pride all of a sudden. It was very cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, the whole family situation is so abstract that I can't, I can't really grasp it. My mother went on to become a flight attendant not before she three times tried to go to further get a further or like a university degree her stepfather kept shutting that down because the first time was we don't have money the second time it was the same thing and the third time she just got pretty pissed off with him and left and my grandmother said if you leave now don't ever bother to come back 
the reason grandpa, this step-grandfather of mine, wanted to keep my mother there was that he was sexually abusing her. Oh, Lord. So she left with 10 shilling in her pocket and, um, and went to Nairobi and then sorted herself out. That's a whole other bizarre story that her grandfather lied to her, her father lied to her and whatnot. But she ended up okay. She became a flight attendant, and she had a, a obviously super wealthy boyfriend who gave her an E-type Rolls Royce, or an E-type Jag. Meanwhile, he drove the Rolls. Um, and she flew between Nairobi, Mumbai, Rome, London, Durban, was stationed in Benghazi, Libya for a while, and then met my father who was a development aid worker from Sweden, on his way down to Dar es Salaam, and asked her, can I buy you a drink? <laughs> on the plane? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> meet you at the cart. <laughs> <laughs> no, meet you at the new Stanley Hotel in Nairobi. Oh. And then Dad said, well, if you ever come through, you know, Scandinavia, come see me. And she ended up in Scandinavia. Or she ended up in London and went to see Dad and felt a sense of, of, of home. Mostly because I think somehow Lithuania is very close by. The nature, the light is the same. Mm. It was clean. It was orderly. The bus ran on schedule. You know, it was, you could, it was nifty mm -hmm. to her. Mm -hmm. So then she went back to London and um, was actually supposed to stay in London and instead had to go straight back to Nairobi because there was a strike at the airport, something. And so she gets back to Nairobi. And this man, Mr. E-Type Jaguar, is gone. Like, just... Ghosted as... Go yeah, exactly. As the kids say. Uh-huh. And so she said to herself, well, okay, I knew I couldn't, I couldn't trust him. I never knew where his money came from, etc., etc." She took her stuff, she left the E-Type, and went to Stockholm. And she left the car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and went to Stockholm and married my father, and told me that she had angst. <laughs> she, she knew she was doing the wrong thing, but there she was, she couldn't run out of church. <laughs> she found out later that Mr. E-Type was in London waiting for her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Missed <yeah>. connections. <laughs> oh, man. Uh-huh. But you wouldn't be here. Exactly. So, yeah, all things for their purpose. It's very bizarre, though, isn't it? <laughs> How long did your mom and dad stay together? Until I was 18, when I told them to divorce, because it was just getting too too hairy. And they were cool. <laughs> they were like, yeah, she no, got a point uh, yeah. there. <laughs> no, yeah, um, basically, it was like, okay, it's time. It's time. So. What an interesting family history. Uh, how does the, uh, does the Nazi Germany stuff ever kick up anywhere in your... So, um, my when my grandmother remarried... That she married a German man whose family was definitely of that ilk. Nazi. Uh huh. So the Jewish grandmother marries a uh -huh. Nazi in South Af in 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 East Africa. Hmm. Yeah. There's a rom com if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody write that. <laughs> Starring Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> oh man. Uh huh. How how did that go down? <laughs> well. Aside from him, you know, abusing your yeah, I, mom. My mother, well, my mother doesn't doesn't speak so much about it. Yeah, so, understandably. Yeah. What happened to him, I don't know. My real grandfather went on to marry a Spanish woman and moved 
to, or actually went on honeymoon to Almunieca, Spain, and proceeded to have a heart attack and died. And then when my grandmother was on her deathbed, she realized that she had made a pact with her first husband and that it was really important for her to all of a sudden get buried next to her for her husband. So she dies, and this half-aunt Gabby has to take care of the ashes and get them to Almunecar, Spain, where supposedly dad is buried. Um, or her. Her dad. Well, Wait. no, my, my your, mother's father. Yeah, your grandfather. Yeah. 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 But she's, you know, next of kin, yeah, yeah. down there, whatever. Sure. Um, so grandma has to, has to go to Spain. But instead of actually taking care of the task, she sends my mother the ashes, just shoves them in a box. It didn't all fit in the box. So she poured the rest into the envelope and stamped it and sent it off to Stockholm. So my mother one day receives this parcel and it makes this strange noise. She <laughs> she oh takes God. it out of the mailbox and realizes exactly what it is. <laughs> so then it falls upon her to find this woman in Spain now widowed and make sure that grandma ends up next to her husband. Yeah. <laughs> still don't know if it happened. Wow. Uh-huh. Fascinating. All right, I, I am still want to get back. So your grandmother, did your grandmother know she was Jewish? Um if she was in a POW camp, no, but she was in a POW camp because she was on the wrong side of the border, basically. She belonged in German East Africa, but she happened to be in in, in British East. All right, and then she gets, after that, what in God's green earth made her decide to marry a Nazi yeah, person? Somebody who the, probably came around and, and decided that he would take care of her mm. and take in her children. And that was... yeah. And and the there was a sense of safety, I suppose, but there was none really because he was a gambler and a and child molester, a child molester who never paid his taxes, who got them evicted from a house. Literally, they had a plantation in outside of Arusha called Engarasiro. Today, it's a beautiful yoga retreat, actually. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I've been there, yeah. Oh. That uh, must be surreal. Totally bizarre. Go to your ancestral uh -huh. homes and have them have been yeah. changed over to other things. Yeah, it was it was it was seized by by the authorities because this man never paid his taxes. And so they came in and they just took everything in the house and my grandmother was of course incensed by this whole thing and decided that the they shouldn't at least they shouldn't take the the big crystal chandelier in the stairwell. And so she swung herself from it. She literally jumped from the second floor and landed on the first floor with with the crystal chandelier. <laughs> 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 this is a book that needs to be written. Uh, clearly. <laughs> I know. There's oh. just it's so many holes in the story. Yeah, you can fill that in with poetic license, as they say. Exactly. A fictionalized account. I think you get away with a lot that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But still. Yeah. And your grandmother's no longer with us? No. No. Uh, she's gone. She's supposedly oh, she, buried in I'm Spain. I, that's that's right. Sorry. Yeah. That was a dumb question. No, but it's so confusing. I'm trying to follow all the different pathways. So. It's very it's very confusing. We can strike that. My being an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. And then, so it's interesting to grow up with a mother who um, 
tells you at a very early age that she spent time in a POW camp, and it came out over lunch one day. Just random. You, oh, so when I was so when I was in this camp, say what? Also oh. past mashed potatoes. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh huh. Wait a minute. Did that change your relationship with her? It didn't change my relationship with her, but it. Um, I think it made the relationship more difficult because all of a sudden as a child I realized I could never complain about the, the a headache, a mm. blister um, you know I want that dress, my friend has this, I want that too or you know I just there was I wasn't gonna ask for things, it was you know, a privilege to just be alive Mm. It puts things in into a very strange context. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she was probably malnourished, so she um, raised my brother and myself by literally feeding us, which went wrong, and I went completely anorexic. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at age 18. I went from uh, 75 kilos to 35 kilos in six months. Whoa. And ended up in the loony bin. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, what happened there? Um, and firstly, did you rebel? I mean, and eating disorders are a control mechanism. So were you, one of the things that they are is a control mechanism. Sure. So I'm not, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I play one on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but were you trying to control other aspects aside from the fact that she was trying to feed you lots? or? I think it was just a way to... Um, claim make your my, life. Yeah, claim some sort of space in a life that had been so controlled by her extraordinary um, melancholy. Hmm. Weirdly. <laughs> and then I go and become a food writer. <laughs> I know, that's a great idea. <laughs> the this, story, this story is full of ironic twists. Uh -huh. It's just fantastic. What was the, what did you learn while in, as you put it, the loony bin? Um, not much. Uh, they, Did they try and regulate your intake of food? They, it was in Sweden, and it was at a time when nobody wanted to touch. I mean, eating disorders weren't on the map. They weren't... Uh, doctors just thought... People who are anorexic lie to themselves, and they lie to everybody around them. So why would we believe you, sort of thing? And I knew that I was killing myself. I mean, it was terrifying. How'd you pull out? Slowly but surely, starting to eat one piece of something here and a little bit more there, and you know, scared as all hell of the scale, but decided that one day when I had at least gained a little bit of weight, all of a sudden the boys were looking at me. <laughs> that helped, because <laughs> before I was invisible, completely invisible. Um, that's really thin. That's tiny. Oh yeah. That's 70 pounds. Yeah, that's when you start growing the weird fuzzy hair and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and everything breaks down. Everything hurts. Your bones are all like, you know, it hurts Brittle. to walk. Sure. No. Yeah. So. Do yeah. you ever have food issues now as a grown woman? I think it's sort of like being a sober alcoholic. You never get out of it. You always look at yourself as if... Holy Moses, what happened over Christmas? Did I eat too much? You know? <laughs> um, but then I say, I eat for a living. 
and I get to travel the world and hobnob with the world's best chefs, and I have an extraordinary life of... It's so privileged that... So what if I weigh a couple of pounds too much? I, well, you look you know, fantastic. Thanks. I can't believe you do what you do for a living. You look very much like Amy Mann, I think. Oh, well. Have you gotten that before? No. Especially with the new haircut. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I see it. It's the cheekbones and the, the yeah. structure. And it's something in your smile reminds you of Amy Mann. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Funny. Just, that might just be me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I see things and things. I take it as a compliment. Yeah, She's absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, having a newfound uh, heritage of Judaism, yeah. which is, you know, both a religion and a, a heritage, yeah. did you did you start looking into it, or did that just become sort of a, a, a footnote to you? No, I have to. When I, was in, um, when I was in South Africa now and had this sort of epiphany that, wow, I can actually feel feel roots, feel grandma, feel something, a sense of belonging, strangely. I need to get in touch with this aunt and the three cousins, and I need to see that side of the family. Um, and I need to go to Lithuania, of course, and see if I can dig anything out of there. Mm. Um, it's complicated. The family's spread. My, I have cousins in Australia, in Germany, in Finland. <laughs> <laughs> Very few on my dad's side in Sweden. But, uh, Do you have any relatives here in the States? Um, supposedly, there is somebody on my dad's side here. But that I've kind of put on um, to the side because I want. I really need to dig into mom's story. It's mm. fascinating. It's ah, bizarre. It's wild. Yeah. And, and I'm 100% behind that. Uh-huh. It is wild and crazy. Do you write under your uh, maiden name or under your married name? Morelius. Yeah. Yeah, no, maiden name. Maiden name. That's, yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah. Because I was introduced to you as uh, Meyer. Oh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's only because, I think also because I traveled so much as a kid and lived in various places um, and don't. Really, I, there's no sense of belonging. I, at least Argot Morelius is a name that people remember. It's easy to Google. It's easy to find it me. It sounds like a Shakespearean play. <laughs> <laughs> One of his lesser A tragedy? Yeah. You know, <laughs> tragic comedy, probably. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> Got all the... You know, put uh-huh. on the pile of the yeah. greatest literature. <laughs> um, no, I've kept my own name because because that way also... it's been It's been fun... With with Facebook to actually find people who are spread out across the world, old friends from boarding school, from childhood, from all sorts of places. Yeah, every once in a while Facebook's good for some stuff. Yeah, finding out you're Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mark Zuckerberg's it's bug. Yeah. It's Mark Zuckerberg's play on all along. Oh, right? exactly. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, that's cool though. There was a story about how my mother. You know, when she wanted to leave, get out of the farm and go to go to get a, a, an education, she applied to university in the UK. Her two brothers were already studying abroad, and so she said she wanted to do the same. And she got accepted to the school, and it was all set. And um, and and her stepfather comes and says, "Sorry, we don't have the money. You can't go." Then um, she says, "Okay, second best. I'll study at the university in Nairobi." Same thing happens again. She gets accepted. He comes around and says, sorry, no go. And she said, but at least I need to get some sort of 
further education. Um, I need to do something with myself. And so he says he came up, stepfather came up with this grand idea. Well, I have a friend who's the headmaster of the secretarial school. Let me have a chat with him and see if you can't get a seat or a place in that, whatever. Um, and so she thought, at least there's something I can do with myself, I guess. Um, menial as it sounded, but... So she went ahead and said, okay, fine, I'll do this. That's when she left, and her own mother said, if you leave now, don't ever bother to come back. Mm. And she gets to Nairobi, looks up the school, gets there, you know, walks in, and introduces herself and says, you know, there's supposed to be a seat in this classroom for me. And the people look at her like she crept out of cheese. What do you mean? We've never heard your name before. So her stepfather was lying her at her <laughs> the whole time, just making up stories. Which is, can you imagine walking into a place saying, this is my last chance at getting an education and doing something with myself, actually trusting this asshole? And then it turns out he just lied to her. <laughs> Jeez. I know. Do you know if she ever confronted him for the abuse? No, mm -hmm. she never did. Mm -hmm. She left. She, um, one of those who, like, suffers in silence. Old school. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then it comes pouring out of her in very strange ways where you can, it's tangible, you can feel it at home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's got to be a lot to try and overcome. Uh-huh. Especially grow up, get married, have sex, have yeah. children, all of these things that involve your body. Yeah. That has not belonged to you yeah. in so many different ways. And when you are pregnant and give birth, I'm sure it feels like your body is not your own. And having not had children, I can only imagine, but it looks like an alien invasion. So For sure. <laughs> you For know. sure. But I think she had her fair share of fun, too, because there are photos of her. She was, she was absolutely stunning. She was gorgeous. And in the 60s, flight attendants were superstars. Yeah, they were yeah, yeah. I'm, there was a show I watched for a short while that, that came on during a summer hiatus on one of the cable things, and it was all about the flight attendants and uh, who were called stewardesses at mm -hmm, the time. Mm -hmm. And they had their little suits and their little hats, and they were all, you know, bone in the flight. They're the, what do you call it, the pilots. And various, there were key parties, like all this oh, stuff. Yeah. It was that no, was the they, time. They, I'm sure they had a lot of fun. It looks that way. Some of the photos are <laughs> quite, yeah. you know, glam. Yeah, hilarious. What a world, huh? Uh huh. What'd you think of boarding school? I've always wanted to ask somebody that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you ask my brother, he'd say it sucks. If you ask me, I really enjoyed it. Actually. Why do you have two different opinions on that? Um, I think because he was a prick and he liked to bully people and he was bullied. Good reason. Uh, you gotta play nice. <laughs> yeah. Was it all girls or co-ed? No, it was co-ed. Oh. Yeah. Goodness. What was oh, that yeah. like? Swedish, you know, liberal co-ed boarding school that actually it's a fancy school. The king went to the school. It's like it's there are only three boarding schools in Sweden, so it's pretty tony. What's it called? Sigtuna skolan humanistiska läroverket. So it's much better when you say it. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a long one. <laughs> How many languages do you speak? Three, French, French, English, Swedish. Yeah, I can sort of fake my way to Spanish and Italian. Sure, I I spent ten days in Sweden in Malmo for a songwriting adventure and had a blast. Yay! Yeah, it was really wonderful. The buildings were ex extraordinary. 
Malmo is cool. Mm. Much more, much more relaxed, much more laid back than Stockholm, which is um, a little angst-ridden <laughs> or a little sort of constipated. And it's do you get back? Yeah, uh, twice a year maybe. Mm. Family and stuff. Family in Stockholm, yeah. Yeah. So, of all the places, where's your faves? Well, Stockholm is just family. Oh, it's like yeah. it's, and I don't miss it. And I, it's just extraordinarily stressful to be there because. It, many boring reasons. So many reasons. Boring <laughs> reasons. Um, but my favorite, overall, you mean where? In general? Sure. Places. You've been all over the world. We'll get into that. But um, for somebody that has been all over the world, do you have some high flag flying faves? Um, I think Hong Kong is is exhilarating. Uh, it's such a... Um, a cultural clash and such a well the whole you know between the old british and the chinese and all the transients that come and go and a beautiful people yeah very tall and uh-huh. long. yeah there are or, you know limbs are dense lithe and their faces are quite beautiful i've known some people from hong kong that are just gorgeous and and it's a it's such an extraordinary city because 75 or 70 or 75 percent of the city is actual natural parks land so the hiking is extraordinary and the 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 beaches there are little islands there's it's everybody thinks of hong kong as just concrete and 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 neon but it's it's quiet if you find it you know Mm -hmm. if you know where to find it it's awesome you have to look under the rocks and things and Uh get out and and not do the touristy stuff which exactly you're probably quite the pro at would it were you in paris for school or uh, my dad. Well, first, yeah, I was. We were. I was five when we moved there, uh-huh. and my parents put myself and my brother in a French school. L'école, l'école maternelle de Boulogne-Billancourt, and um, and told us to um, to figure it out. Basically, we didn't speak a word of French, but it took about six weeks or oh, you know, a month. Immersion's the key. Exactly. Deep end of the pool. Yeah. When you're five, you're you're a sponge. You pick up everything. So that was four years of, of, it was the first language I learned to read and write. Before English? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but English is... English I didn't learn until I landed in New York. Fascinating. Uh Uh-huh. I went back to Sweden. After Paris, we went back to Sweden. Dad was done with his job at the OECD. And... Um, they put me and my brother in a French-Swedish school, and, and basically, I was I was they sat me in the back of the classroom and told me to shut up because I was better at French than anybody else, and I was ruining it for everybody else in the class. <laughs> so that was weird. But anyway, I finally learned Swedish the the hard way. And as soon as I had had that, I had that down pat, and I had made some friends, and I'd figured out the system, and I understood the, the, the school books and all of that, the culture. Then Dad comes home and says, so, we're moving to New York. At which point I was 13, and they shoved me into a public school in Manhasset, Long Island, <laughs> which was super scary because I didn't speak a word of English. That must have been a trip. Oh, I was so bullied. It was so sad. Mm-hmm. It was really rough. But, hey, I speak three languages. Thanks so right now. Yeah. yeah. I, I have heard, obviously, English is my first language. I studied languages when I was little. Um but English being the first, they say that English is one of the hardest to learn. Would you agree with that or disagree? Well, when you're 13 and you don't know that you're supposed to be wearing 
Jordache jeans, and uh-huh. you can't spell lacrosse, let alone play it, and you don't understand what a football huddle is, and you don't understand either that you're not supposed to wear kids, because that's for the poor people when you live in fancy Manhasset. <laughs> I was so worried about I sort of just blending yeah. in. We had Vans, uh, Breezins, you, you had to wear... Um, Oh gosh, there were these skirts that all the girls wore that were not quite mini skirts and they were A-line and and came in pastel colors. If you did not have one of those skirts, forget it. Sad, sad. I mean, you might as well just ruin your entire existence and never be talked to again. Yeah, exactly. I was was the pariah. Don't miss any of that stuff. So it didn't take me long because I needed to, I needed to blend in. I needed Mm. to like pick up the accent and, and when you have... So you weren't the hot new exchange student to the football Heck team no. or whatever I was the weirdo. The <laughs> I was the weirdo, the total weirdo, and I was completely bullied. And actually, the ringleader of the bulliers was this very, very mean girl who um, later on, it's such a weird story. I moved back to New York many, many years later, and it was there was a story splattered all over the news about a woman in San Francisco who had eat, been eaten alive by pit bull terriers. I read about her. Diane Whitball. She was the ringleader of the bulliers at Manhasset Junior High School. How about that? Whoa! Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, I mean, terrible. <laughs> Awful story. I just, I, I feel like there's so many people listening that just did a little cheer. <laughs> I mean, nobody ever wishes <laughs> no. on someone, it's but terrible. when they were a horrible person, you know, there's that little voice in your head that goes, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> In a movie, they would cheer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Terrible. Wow. What a fate. Yeah. Well, I assume she died and then was eaten, or no? They tore her apart. Oh, her own dogs. Yeah. There's a. There's I a, care. I've read so many. It's not her own dogs. Like, it was the neighbor's dogs. Oh, the neighbor dogs. The, the I did. Na- I read about. I think I'm confusing it with the chimpanzee lady. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That was a crazy one. <laughs> the chimpanzee took her face oh off. My God. Yeah, man. Animals can get real rough out there. Whoa. Yeah. Well, it's interesting though because you think of bullying as a pack of dogs, and so you know, and the the ringleader, and for her to have that fate on the other side, really makes you. Stop and think about your actions having in a reaction. Yeah. Hmm. Kindness. Kindness, Kindness is, is good. Is, <laughs> Kindness is awesome. <laughs> of course, we were just laughed at the fact that she died by, you know, uh, dogs. So I don't know if I that's know. kindness. It gets complicated. <laughs> when did you set on your path of, of what you are now? Wow. It's sort of... Or who you are now, I should it, say. Um, Both, really. Good grief. I, I've had so many... I. I think for a long time, New York was my career. I, I moved there, and I was supposed to be there six months, and it took me about two weeks to realize, ah, two, six, six months in New York, that's never enough. And When you were 13? No, this was when I, <laughs> when I moved back okay. much later. And how old were you when you moved back? Uh, 30. 30, okay. Yeah. All right. And, and so I kind of hung on to New York, and I took whatever job I could because I had no green card, and it was one of those situations. What sorts of things did you do? I worked in a gallery, in a, in a very fancy contemporary art gallery in Chelsea, Anton Kern Gallery. It was super fun because I got to hang out with all these artists, and it was totally creative and, and Im- immersive and dynamic and f- fabulous. Super exciting. Um, and I worked in PR. I did PR in like, contemporary arts. And uh, I did private dining at a fancy restaurant and... All sorts of things to 
to pay the rent, basically. Oh, and having the lang- language skills was, yeah. I'm sure, a bonus yeah. on top of all those things. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out okay. <laughs> but all, I always wanted to write, so that was always in the back of my head. However, it's not the easiest um, business to break into, and it certainly isn't lucrative, so there's that. Yeah. But one thing led to another. I started, I actually hosted a woman in, in New York who's the editor-in-chief of a travel magazine back in Sweden. I didn't know her, but we got along pretty well, and I spent a week with her, guiding her around, telling her stories, and showing her all sorts of off-the-map goodies. And at the end of the trip, I told her, I said, I've opened up my little black book of secrets. you got to do something for me now. Please, will you publish one of my articles? <laughs> so I conned her into it, and and I delivered, and it was good. So she kept asking me to, to write. And once you have one, if you can prove you've been published in one place, then you can go to other people, and, mm. and it sort of comes automatically. What was that first article about? Uh, it was probably New York related. I don't remember. Mm. Good question. No, was it Venice? I think I wrote a piece about. I don't remember. And Croatia. you were off to the races then. Yeah. And you, you had set your mind on being a travel writer. What would you call yourself exactly? Because you do all sorts of things within the realm of travel writing. But yeah, know. it's not only travel writing. It's I've fallen into. I mean, for the longest time, I wrote about New York, about fashion, fashion, art, design. Those were the big ones, and then New York. And, 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 of course, when you write about New York City, you write about the, the, the restaurant scene. Mm. And yum, I, yum. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and since I had worked in hospitality and written a few little pieces here and there for Gourmet Magazine, it all of a sudden went in that direction. So a lot of it is culinarily related, the gastro world in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. And then I got asked to be the New York correspondent for, or the, the New York person, whatever you want to call it, for a global restaurant guide called 12 Forward. And I wrote, apparently wrote so well that they asked me to be the executive editor of the whole thing. So that led to even more um, food-related stuff. So Yeah. How often it, do you travel in a year? Holy smokes! Uh, I was in I was home here in Los Angeles for 114 days last year. So that's two thirds out of the year I was gone. I bet you got some good on good miles going on. Yeah, a couple. I went around the world a few times. Where'd you go last year? And Ooh. to talk about that a little bit, because uh, I think you've been on some pretty insanely cool adventures. I I can't even recall. I started out, I went to Peru three times last year. I was in Argentina twice. I was in Italy multiple times. Paris, Stockholm, obviously. Reykjavik, Belgium twice. Istanbul a few times. Um, Singapore, Hong Kong. This is all last year. Uh, Bombay, Kashmir. <laughs> Uh, where else? I mean... Japan, back to Peru, South Africa. That was awesome. That was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's hear a couple of adventure stories. <laughs> adventure stories from last year? Yeah. 
Wow, I was on the I was on the border to Syria in in southern Turkey. That's pretty bizarre to actually see the border and see that you're that close to the complete chaos that is especially Syria. last year. Uh huh. Yeah. But I'm never scared. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a worry wart that way. I, I, I'm drawn to adventure. I was in Tbilisi, and we're touring in Georgia, and got an invitation to go to the north east region of Tusheti. It's an eight-hour car ride off-road. You gotta have a four-wheel drive up and down a mountain pass on one of the most treacherous roads in the world. And if it starts raining, you're done. And actually, the road is closed between October and May because you can't it, you can't get through. So, so if you get stuck up there, you're stuck up there. Hell yeah, I'm gonna go on an adventure like that. Love it. Sign me up. <laughs> it's super fun. Did you uh, experience when you were in Turkey on the border of Syria? Did was there conversation about everything going on, or because you're there for a particular task of of something else? Does that come up? It was. It wasn't. It didn't come up. I mean, we were there for 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 foodie reasons, and we were a bunch of foodies. So we were, in, we were more looking at the baklava factories and eating our way through gigantic amounts of food. Um, but of course, around the dinner table, there is conversation about that sort of thing. But it, I, it didn't come from our hosts. Put it that way. Sure. Because politics and wine don't mix (laughs) (laughs) that's the title of your book yes (laughs) (laughs) have you come across i think about this a lot of times with people that travel around the world to eat on purpose as i like Uh to say and uh what has you come across something that you think oh god no i can't eat this yeah but you have their their social ramifications to that and respect and you're there for a purpose and and that kind of thing has that happened to you um i'll try anything once Mm. i mean what's the weirdest thing uh, you've eaten oh there's a lot of weird stuff yeah that's right but the weirdest thing well there's got to be some 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 bizarre innards fish pieces that you know like blowfish for instance they eat the uh the what is it called the melt the like it's the the sperm sack of fish you kind of take a bite and then you swallow isn't it funny that we recoil at the idea of eating a sperm sack yet fish egg is yeah exactly (laughs) you're right it's like yeah that's delicacy yeah take that men (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> totally. Uh, that's a what about brains? Uh, brains. Brain is delicious. Ooh, yeah, sweetbreads are good. Um, I yeah. think my my brain and the idea of eating another brain would go to all sorts of crazy disease and encephalitis ideas, and I would. I mean, I used to eat sushi like a crazy. Bring on the sushi, and then I read a book on parasitology, and I'm like, oh, I can't. No, eat sushi maybe not. Anymore. Yeah, no, that doesn't. Me out too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not food weird. No. Yeah, my food can touch. Have a pretty. My, <laughs> but my brother, when we were growing up, you know, they he had to have, have the. Yeah, he had a special plate that was segmented. Oh yeah, this different 
like God a, forbid like a the vegetables yeah. touch the the beef patty or whatever. Exactly, mm-hmm. and I was always a, a food mixer. I liked it when all the flavors enjoyed each other. Sure, that was my thing. Of course, food orgy. I'm in. Um, yeah, but brains, I don't know. Like a monkey brain or... I, yeah, my that friends would be have difficult. gone to places that eat pigeons and like, I don't know. I just I don't think I... Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Although I remember loving Gigi, right? And they ate um, pigeon. Yeah. With the bone. They were eating the bones of some of the birds that they ate in that oh, movie. Nice and crunchy. For texture. I mean, there's a lot of weird... Um, but it's getting culture, texture, all that stuff. But yeah. I grew up... You know, when I spent those years in Paris as a kid, we had... Um, four course lunches in the school canteen Mm -hmm. and if we didn't eat up they slapped us silly so i started school in england same idea if you didn't finish i went to girton glebe if you didn't finish your meal in its entirety and leave your knife and fork at four Uh o'clock and we had real knives and forks and real plates and all that stuff napkins the whole nine years yeah you, Mm -hmm. you did they did not bode well they didn't like that very much no they slapped us i mean we got physically <laughs> the good old days. So yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I guess um, I grew up with the idea that you have to you have to eat everything. You have to cl- the, the clean the clean, clean plate, plate club. <laughs> then mm-hmm. not so much any longer. Anything ever come back up after you were gallantly eating it? <laughs> That's a terrible question. I know. <laughs> I know, but it must have happened. Oh my god, I've been sick. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it has happened. Won't mention any names. No. Jeez, Louise. It's yeah. It's yeah. not pretty. Everybody says you've got such a glamorous job. It's so amazing. You get to travel the world and eat at the best restaurants in the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, it's fabulous. It's delicious. Um, it's exhausting and. Sometimes it makes you ill when you have to cram in breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and and then maybe uh, snacks in between because you have to stop at another restaurant. I remember we were in Malta, in Valletta, in Malta, and I think in three days we crammed in 26 restaurants. How is it even... I, yeah, because and you you're stop a at, small person. <laughs> I know. That's I why got you lucky. walk everywhere. I, guess. I walk. I guess I've got good uh, metabolism. Thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, wow. it it's it can get. And on wine trips, I'm sure that gets fun in very short amounts of time. Georgia is incredible for the wines. Really? Yes, it's the cradle of winemaking. They've been making wine for eight thousand years over there, and they have some. Really fun. I mean, all, all natural wines, which are my big passion. Mm. And Any they, names you can throw out there that come to mind? I have some big wine listeners, big wine people. Uh, my best friend Ellen loves wine, so we'll yay. throw one to her. Um, her. John Werdeman is an incredible American man who makes natural wine in Georgia. The name of his winery is Pheasant's Tears. He's the one that's probably easiest for people to find. Like, they have his wines at Silver Lake Wines, for instance. We should mention, we're not talking about Georgia that's in America. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, some people might not know. Yeah. And so it's important to know. Yeah. Um, what, where does your palate lean toward? Are you more into the sweets or the, the oh, heavies no. or the lights? I like, you mean wine-wise? Yeah, yeah. I love orange wines. Skin contact wines. Just had that for the first time over it's here at Lou, the wine store up the street. Oh. They have, uh, every Friday, they have wine tasting. Fantastic. And uh, my friend Hannah Bethel was in town and went 
over there and had our very first orange wines. They had four of them. Never awesome. had them before. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's you wild. Know, I love the first one, which of course I don't remember the name of um, because I, I just I should have written it down. I really enjoyed that one. There were a couple that. Didn't they get they can get a little funky. Yeah, there Sometimes was one that was a little papery and wow, and, papery. Which, what a fabulous way of putting it. Yeah, but the first one was really lovely, and they are slightly orange, which is my favorite color. So I was in from the start. Yeah, no, they're wild. They have something that's that's uh, they've got character and they've got attitude. I like I like the personality of it. Until last Friday, I didn't even know they existed. Yeah, I don't Fun. really I don't know a lot about wine. I do enjoy it. Uh-huh. But I would not call my palate exceptional. I mean, no, I take that back, actually. My palate is good because when I taste wine, I can pick up all the notes and things. Mm -hmm. So that I've got. But I don't know a lot about wine in general. Like, I couldn't taste something and say, oh, that's from this place and that's from that place. That's just, that's, that's, certain people have this extraordinary way of cataloging things in their brains. Mm flavors, textures, um, aromas. Mm-hmm. I admire it. Yeah. It's it's hard. When I was in college, I learned for the first time, and I may have brought this up before, that when you say, oh, I taste chocolate or cherry or all that sort mm-hmm. of thing, I used to think that they added, I, was, I had no idea that it was the soil doing that. And that was my big aha moment when I was about 22. Wow, it's magic. Whoa. Because we didn't really do, at my parents' house growing up, my dad had his beer that he liked, and he liked foreign beers. And mom would just drink, shall I say it, box wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was the extent of things. <laughs> so if we stole wine to go off and party in the woods, it was not great wine. So. Well, you stole, you stole mom's wine? Of course. <laughs> Did you not do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> mom's wine, grandma, cigarettes. That was Wow. Like, no, I didn't smoke, but my friends did. So we would, and she, my grandmother smoked the worst cigarettes. She smoked Terryton 100s. Sorry, Terryton. You're never going to give me a sponsorship. haha. ha. But um, <laughs> yeah, she smoked Terryton 100s. And my friends would be like, oh, you still. And she would buy them by the Carton? cartons. So, by the cartons, oh. she was a smoker, my Whoa. grandmother, and uh, I would I would pilfer her stash and hand them out to my friends to gain popularity and love. <laughs> 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 the prison system of junior high. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Back to you. Okay. No. <laughs> Uh, where are you heading for uh, this year? What's anything big on the uh, on the horizon? I am leaving for Russia, ostensibly, supposedly Sunday or Monday. I don't know, but either Sunday or Monday, I will be heading to first Moscow, and then I'm super excited because we're taking a night train from Moscow to Saransk. Hmm. Land there twelve hours later, or ten, or whatever it is. Do In you a see winter, well wonderful. On, uh, on trains? Sure. I haven't done. I haven't since I was. It's, haven't done a train? No, I haven't. I haven't done like like overnight. A, overnight in I don't know since I was a teenager and did the whole trekking around Euro Euro Rail thing. Do you organize it all for yourself, or do people do that for you at this point in your career? Uh, a lot of it is is organized. This time around, I'm actually organizing together with a couple of chicks in Moscow. Mm. So we're bringing in a few journalists too. And to, what's the goal for this trip? Um, to get to know a certain, a, 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 well, to meet up with a chef and see where he can, comes from and, and, and get some back roads, Russian culture, mm. 
sleigh rides and picnics in the in the winter forest and saunas, you know, getting whacked by birch branches in a banya. And um, oh. I'm sure there's going to be vodka involved. Oh, <laughs> yes. Do you have a fave of uh, vodka? I don't. Hmm. I mean, I'm Swedish. I should be saying yeah. some obscure, fabulous art, artisanal Swedish vodka, but yeah. I'm it, no. Or Icelandic. I assume they make vodka in Iceland. Of course they do. Yeah. Oh. No, I'm pretty. I feel like their houses are made out of uh, vodka. <laughs> <laughs> they just freeze. Oh wait, vodka doesn't freeze. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Forget that architectural idea. Back to, the, back to the drawing board, everyone. <laughs> It's, uh, I do it's like a concept. I like Chopin for martinis. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I again, I'm not super well versed in the in the vodka realms either, but I like potato potato vodka. Yeah, I like it when it's free and cold. Yeah, cold <laughs> vodka is good. No, but when it's free and cold. Oh, free and cold. Yes, just like their people, right? <laughs> um, you see, you're married and. How is that? I'm curious, with traveling great distances, great amounts of time, how do you balance all that? How do you balance relationships in general? Because your friendships, you know, your loverships, all that kind of stuff. Is It, it must take a I see some navigation. of my colleagues' cohorts more often than I see my family. Mm-hmm. And we, sh- we meet up in, in random places, like... Bogota and and Bilbao and then Singapore and wherever it's it's kind of insane. Um, we're, a, fun, we're a superbly um, tight knit little family and it's it's cool. It's really fun. I imagine you run into a lot of the same folks yeah. through your travels. Yep, unexpectedly even in 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 random places. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fun. But yeah, friends here, friends at, at home. I mean. There's, because then I come home and I'm here for now. I've been here a month, which is record breaking. Um, and I have so much work to do that I don't have time for anybody. Um, and of course, Stephen, my husband, doesn't love it, mm. but he's realized that it's my career and he can't stop me. So yeah, you, know, it's, you are who you are. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You write. Every trip you go on, then do you write about? Is that how that works, or no? Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's invitations to conferences, or it's um, like the world's fifty best restaurants awards gala, or um, some other related bonanza. Um, sometimes it's uh, like I've been to. To Peru, part of it has been to research a book project out there. And uh, same thing in Istanbul. I keep going back there because I'm writing a cookbook for a chef over there. So there's there's plenty of reasons. Sometimes I sometimes I pitch stories because I want to go someplace. Um, or else uh, somebody will come to me and say, can you write a guide to Hong Kong? Yes, please. And then I go to Hong Kong for 12 days and sleep three hours a night and scout around like mad and have a great time. Hmm. Favorite place to go in Hong Kong? Ooh. Uh, favorite hotel is the Upper House. I've never stayed in such a... It's such a... It's sumptuous and beautiful, but it's it's laid back and it's not... It doesn't have that five-star snootiness to it. Um, it's really 
a lovely, lovely place. All right, um, how about Paris? Paris. Um, a favorite place in Paris. I don't know. Just getting lost along the streets somewhere. Meandering is pretty. I don't know that I have a favorite place. I'm not in love with Paris any longer. I think it's... It's, it's Paris, but it has changed. <laughs> yeah, Just like New so. York. Yeah. I don't miss New York any longer. I don't know what I was doing. I mean, I loved it when I was there. Mm -hmm. but And that's okay. You grow but, and change. Yeah, but that was a love affair. It's done. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, what are you madly in love with right now? Where? I, I, always, I always go back to Japan. Mm -hmm. I adore it. I have not been with my nephews there right now for two years, getting Whoa. his master's degree. And learning the language. He is fluent in Japanese. <gasps> I am so jealous. Yeah. How is that even possible? Mathematics. He's fluent in mathematics as well. Okay. <laughs> he's a very bright kid. Clearly. Yeah. Wow. He's a good kid. Uh, I mean, he's a grown-up. I shouldn't call him a kid, but <laughs> to me, he's a kid. Uh, I had a question that you said. Something. I was laughing when you said that you were going to the, the gala for the 50 best. Mm -hmm. I just, I picture the chef at that gala having a nervous breakdown saying, we can't cook chicken. You know, because every time you go to a gala, there's always chicken. Oh, yeah, no. Actually, no, there's never chicken at those events. There's a lot of booze, and there's a lot of local chefs who get together and, and, and cook. Do you do it around America at all? This what you do? No. The last time the World's 50 Best Gala was in Singapore, and... Uh, but do you specifically, oh, do, do you travel around in, um, in the Americas? And, no, and I haven't much. Is it hard when you're home to find a place to go eat, just no, to chill out, I, or do you cook at home? I just No, I like to cook at home, but um, and it's nice to not go out and not have to analyze food. Um, but I did go to Auburn the other day, and it was f tremendously, phenomenally outstanding. That's here in town. Yeah, Auburn. Auburn. It was it. it was super special. It was really innovative and creative and arty and and the room is gorgeous and the staff was beautiful. It was just mm. it was chic little new spot. Well, not new any longer, but super chic. Restaurants must be thrilled when you like them, considering the weight of your opinion. Supposedly, there is weight to my opinion. Yeah, I mean, of course there is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I went to lunch with my friend at Auburn, and all of a sudden, these extra dishes come out, and she looks at me, and she's like, do they know who you are? I said, they must. And we walk out after lunch. She looks at me, and she says, I think I'm going to start making reservations in your name now. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> By all means. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you been to Alinea? No, Chicago. No. Chicago, yeah. Grant, Arquette. No, I haven't been. I would love to go. It's it sounds fascinating. Yeah, he's a fascinating character. He had tongue cancer. He lost his, his palate. He couldn't taste anything for years and actually had to rely on his sous chef to, to create these wacko creations, edible balloons, etc., yeah. Which I, I admire him that he could still focus and still wanted to. Again, the grand irony of a brilliant I, chef losing his tongue or a restaurateur losing his tongue. Well, just, losing his just, palate, losing yeah, his taste. Yeah. His, his tongue is still there. Oh, <laughs> but, but okay. He, yeah, he had tongue cancer, but his, 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 uh, he lost his sense of taste From for the radiation problem. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy oh, wow, and cruel. A, it is cruel. It's yeah. quite cruel. Uh, what is the book you're working on? 
I, yeah, besides the one you said when you get taken to say right about Hong Kong, you said there's a, there was a bigger thing in the works. There's a couple of little projects. Well, not they're not little. There's a couple of projects in Peru, but I don't want to talk about those yet. I don't want to jinx it. You don't? Okay. <laughs> no. That's all right. We can, I don't want to jinx it. When, when you're ready to tell me, I will tell them. It's a fascinating story. Yeah, it's cool. But um, it's it's very anthropologically driven. Oh, which very cool. I is, I'm, that's what I should have been, really, an anthropologist. I'm fascinated by people and cultures and stories. and. I mean, you are that are you not by don't you just delve into the food it's a yeah somebody that is a theologian that delves into the world's religions to learn more about its people true enough it's the same sort of thing i think i don't i don't picture myself as a as a scholarly kind of person (laughs) isn't that interesting yeah and yet you are researching constantly and studying and I mean, I hate to break it to you, but yeah. from the outside looking at you, I would say that you are indeed scholarly. You just get <laughs> perks, you know, and you're not wearing the... I always make this joke, and everyone on the podcast is probably just like, oh, fine, the joke again, but, you know, the, the leather patches the, the leather on, patches, the, on yeah. the elbows. Yeah, no, I'm not this. an absent-minded <laughs> professor. My dad wore those jackets when he taught. Uh-huh. So I did just did he have a knit tie, too? Uh, you know, I don't remember his ties, tweed and knit but ties. I, just, I remember his jackets with the elbow patches. Of course. So as he went off to his professor, it's not really feminine though the elbow patches They're and the jackets. Sexy on women, are they? Are they <laughs> the fitted ones? The sort of Ralph Lauren style. I yeah, it could be. I, I think guess. they're pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many cookbooks have you been a part of? None so far. So this is a new project yeah. for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. It was really funny how this Maksut Ashkar, this um, fancy chef in Istanbul, his restaurant, Neolocal is the name of the restaurant. Neo- he, Neolocal. He cooks um, modern poetic interpretations of traditional Turkish Anatolian cuisine. And uh, it's very colorful and bright and and uh, I don't know what's the word. Um, it's it's a, a truly personal story he's telling with his food, which is lovely. And uh, and he came to me and asked, "Do I did I want to write his cookbook?" How and does that work exactly? He sends you recipes. No, and we, we yeah we 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 get together in Istanbul and we go through stuff and we sit around and and talk about it and and try to map it out. And then he gets ADD. And runs off to cook somewhere. Like he's in Brazil right now, and um, and that's why I'm going back after Russia. I'm going to Istanbul to sit down and actually start. Like, come on, let's get this going. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it needs to happen now. Would you ever want to open a restaurant yourself? <gasps> Heck no. It's a hard Absol- work. Yeah, and the hours. I admire, but no way, mm. no way. It's that's dedication. Yeah. Unbelievable dedication. And many, many don't work, even when the food is great. You I know. I, I, when I go back to Nashville to visit, I'm flabbergasted by how quickly the turnover is with I, restaurants. So sad. So sad. All of these dreams and aspirations and all this money that so goes much down money. the drain. But then you have the other side of the coin, the chefs who get super famous or who actually are craftsmen. And are doing something extraordinary, changing the world. I mean, there are chefs that are also uh, working 
on on nonprofit projects, feeding hungry children like Margot Yansa in in South Africa. She's got a foundation, Isabella Isabella Foundation. She um, she feeds fifteen hundred kids in townships in uh, Franschhoek per day in the school kids through her foundation and uh, that's beautiful yeah and there's there's uh, Leonora Espinosa in Bogota her restaurant's Leo um, she works with a lot of small 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 communities all over Colombia and gets them to to farm whatever she needs for her menu and or hunt and um, contribute <laughs> so in by doing so she's keeping little villages alive and she's keeping traditions alive and she's helping helping push their heritage which I think is commendable absolutely yeah same thing with uh, Virgilio Martinez and Pia Leon the chefs behind Central and Coya in Lima they've started a an NGO called Mater Iniciativa which is trying to map all of Peru's indigenous ingredients or yeah they have one of the biggest the uh, largest biodiversity in the world it's 4600 types of potatoes and edible tubers and 55 types of corn well i'm a potato whore so that sounds yeah. perfect uh -huh. for me yeah absolutely love potatoes <laughs> and they work with this amazing guy uh manuel choque who is developing a potato-tomato hybrid that will give both vegetables. They're both nightshades. They both come from yeah, the same family. Sure. So. Garlic, eggplant, tomato, yeah. potato. Uh -huh. I'm sure there's a couple others. Nightshades. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. It is fascinating. What's your What's your plan? What do you, do you just keep doing this until you you know drop dead one day eating a giant bowl of something delicious or what do you what's your <laughs> but you, sir it's wafer thin it's wafer thin <laughs> mystic creosol I could not possibly <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's me that's me it's gonna explode one day sitting in a restaurant somewhere it's not what gonna be pretty to, what a way to go <laughs> no I don't know not what she's having yeah right <laughs> <laughs> better bring the bucket um <laughs> I uh, where am I going? What am I doing? I right now I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying my life because it, it's it's a every day is an adventure. Every mm. I don't know where I'm going to go. I know that I'm going from Russia to Istanbul, and from there I don't know. I, something might come up, and I might end up in Amsterdam. Who knows? And I I enjoy I thrive on this uncertainty. I think it's lovely, and I think it's. It's stupid. It's really ridiculous. You shouldn't, you know, there should be money in the bank and a, and a, and a career path or something. Should there Grown be? up. I don't know. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe not. You have know. a passion. I think that is, that is the number one goal. Yeah. To be passionate about your life. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. There's, I mean, you know, curious. I have to, have to, I don't know, explore explore more <laughs> more exploration yeah. books maybe some books yeah coming that yeah. would be fun yes it Something will happen you're working on mm -hmm. uh how do people find you maybe read some of the articles you've written that kind of thing wow so um 12 forward is the global restaurant guide that i was telling you about it's at 12fwd.com 
and that is it's called 12 forward because it's 12 restaurants that are the tw it's it's the 12 most forward thinking restaurants in big global cities in big cities around the world so so everything from Tokyo to Paris, London, Berlin, New York, Los Angeles, Lima, Melbourne, Sydney, etc etc and um that I've done a lot of work with and uh, a lot of it is obviously in Swedish so a little hard to understand I mean 12 forward is it all in English but the rest is pretty much in Swedish I write for a Scandinavian traveler which is Scandinavian Airlines in flight magazine mm -hmm. that's English as well um, but a lot of what I do is Swedish you have a website that has stuff on it too or is no. that the no my own yeah no mm. my brother kept telling me you got a blog you have you, you must have a blog i don't have time for that mm. when i'm done writing for somebody else there's no there's no words left i can't i can't <laughs> ring a single sentence out of my head <laughs> i understand absolutely it's exciting if, if people want to find you to follow you then the the magazine that you mentioned the scandinavian magazine is the best course Sk maybe, well uh Scandinavian Airlines in-flight magazine, ScandinavianTraveler.com. Um, I've written a few things for them, and sadly they pulled my Hong Kong stories because of the unrest over there, so that's uh, on the back burner. Why on, are they pulling ice. your stories for that? I mean, because you're talking of, about food and wines and things. Um, and hiking and nightlife and all sorts of things. Um because of the political unrest in Hong Kong right now. They don't want people to know about good food? <laughs> no, they, they don't think it's a, a destination that is worth... Um, ah, promoting because it's, yeah, it's unsafe-ish yeah, for yeah, exactly. foreign travelers. Exactly, so that's a little sad. Um, it's quite happens. a life. It really is. <laughs> it's, it's, you think, okay, well, food, wine, travel, hiking, those are all pretty cut and dry, uh -huh. but... I mean, it goes deeper for you. It becomes a spiritual experience. Uh -huh. Do you, do you go to any of the temples and things when you're in those types of places? I have, I think I have a personal relation. I know I have a personal relationship with a temple in Kyoto, <laughs> and it's. How do you mean? Uh, it's it's a weird. Uh, I mean, if I believed in former lives, I would say I definitely have been here before or spent time there. But it's it's a very I have this extraordinary affection for this one little temple and I go there every time I'm in Japan and I and I sit there and I cry and I cry and I cry it's an emotional bizarre thing and it's deep and it's beautiful and it's hmm. confusing and fabulous I love that but yeah yeah and I don't know why that temple but it's only and I've traveled all through Japan but this one place has got something in What's the name of the temple? Kenenji. Kenenji, huh? Yeah. Maybe send my nephew over there. Yeah, you me. should. Yeah. Tell him I say hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So, can people reach out to you via email or anything like that? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. That, how do they find you that way? Argotius at me.com. I spell that for everybody. A-R-G-O-T-I-U-S at me.com. Thank you so much for no, taking your time. Thanks. I know your time is nuts, and we've been trying to plan this for a while. A year, I think it's been. I mean, I met you so. when I was traveling back and forth from Nashville to L.A., and we, we met at such a funny place at a pinball <laughs> yeah. event. Uh, in Pasadena. Yeah, a pinball event in Pasadena where uh -huh. all the pinball machines were free for the night. That was so much fun. Yeah. 
and they stopped doing it. I know. They've got to find a bigger warehouse for all their games and such. But it was fortuitous. I'm glad I met you. Likewise. And patience, they say, is a virtue. Yay. And here Uh we are. Here we are. It paid off. (laughs) Yeah. I wish you so much success, safety, and well-being in your travels. Thanks, Susan. And all the good stuff. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Awesome to be here. In your library. (laughs) Yeah. In my library. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Bye.